0: Welcome to this week's episode of Is Now a Good Time? We're here with Chloe, a 25-year-old digital and social uh, marketing manager for the hippest and coolest restaurants here in the Bay Area. She just moved here recently from Chicago. We're also joined by co-host Mike Benz. Woo! And, uh, And your host here, Bill Ehrlich so chloe you just moved here from chicago tell us is now a good time
1: <laughs> sure is it is a good time
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> nine o'clock on a friday night <laughs> don't give us away
0: <laughs> we can't let people know. I know
2: we're we're at
0: a crowded bar right now yeah so that's where we are so to get us started just Tell us a little bit more about what it is that you do. It's a it's a rather unique position. I think upon description, many uh, men and women of today's social media world will feel utterly jealous that what they do for Instagram and Pinterest, you do for a living quite successfully. So give us a little bit of background.
1: Okay. Well, just, uh, well, right now I'm kind of in a transitional phase, so I'm not fully up and running in my new role here in San Francisco. So let's just stick with that. Um, but before that in Chicago, I was working as a digital media manager for a restaurant group. And that's the simplest way of saying pretty much that I managed the social media and online presence for all eight restaurants. Um, kind of served as the in-house photographer, if like press needed photos or our websites did, and then also graphic design. So it kind of was this wonderful fusion of everything I'm interested in and all the skills that I have in a job. So yeah, and I'll be doing that here once our clients want me to do it.
0: I think the most interesting thing is what you just described is what everyone is already doing. And I don't mean to be gender specific, but I feel it might even be bigger among women than it is men. Instagramming pictures of food, making things look very well-designed and stylish and making people interested. So I, I have to think people are wondering, how did this become your job? Because lots of people are doing it there are less people doing it and actually getting paid for it.
1: Okay, well, let's see. So I guess my first jobs out of college were graphic design jobs. And then on the side, I was very interested in the restaurant scene in Chicago. Um, And I've always just kind of been a person that's up on the internet and technology. (laughs) So um, when Instagram came along, I just... I don't know. It was like a good outlet. I've always been a person um, who like, enjoyed captioning photos on Facebook back when people put <laughs> pictures on Facebook. Um, and yeah, I guess um, I was working as a graphic designer. I was kind of bored at my job. And like on, whenever I had the chance, I'd go out to eat and take a picture. And um, I mean, I was following all these interesting people who were also doing cool things, and like getting inspired by them while getting inspired by like these cool restaurants and spaces and the city and then kind of documenting it. And, um, yeah, it's kind of a long story how I fell into the job, but, um, because I was like at this group meeting, kind of just talk, it was like a creative support group, I call it. Um, yeah. And everyone was <laughs> like, that's we really all what that. it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A thing. It, it was a thing. Yeah. And one day we were just like going around in a circle, kind of being like, where would you like to be or what would you like to be doing? And I kind of just said, I don't know, like designing menus for restaurants would be cool or something where like I could creatively work in restaurants. Um, And then like a month later, the guy um, who led this group um, forwarded me a job description for the restaurant group I ended up working for kind of just being like, Hey Chloe, I remember you mentioning um, that you were, interested in restaurants and design and social media, like maybe you'll think this looks cool. And I was like, thanks for sending this. That actually is my dream job, like Uh, written point by point. This (laughs) is very cool. Yeah. So, and it just, I don't know, it was lucky timing, lucky that I knew someone who knew someone who was um, able to connect me with someone there. Then I interviewed and I think, um, I mean, one-off hospitality group is the group that I worked for and they value kind of enthusiasm and like passion and like love for the game sometimes more if not the same as having like the actual skills so at the time I was kind of not qualified at all professionally to be doing social media but like they could see that it was kind of something I was doing on the side that I was really into Um, and yeah so it's funny like my personal Instagram kind of ended up being like a portfolio in a way for this job because yeah. I mean I had a graphic design portfolio but I didn't have like how do you show that you can do social media if you've never done it I don't know so yeah
0: I yeah I have a few questions <laughs> because I think it's I think it's worth mentioning again you mentioned your Instagram profile serving as a portfolio and uh, I won't make you say it But you have, I think it's 7,000 or 7,600 followers on Instagram, which is way more than the average person. That's like, that surprises people. I I think you're probably, uh, as far as social media goes, the most famous person I know, personally. (laughs) So how did that come about that you got 7,600 followers. And was that actively cultivated or did it just happen because you were so good at
2: at taking pictures and putting them on Instagram?
1: I think it's... I mean, when I first started getting into it, it was more active, but I think that's just because it was so new to me that I would be going through like, oh, this donut shop's location tag. And then I would like like a couple pictures, like people that also were taking high quality photos. Um, And then, I don't know. I mean... I think a lot of it had to do with me being bored at my job, so I'd be like sitting at my desk procrastinating something I should have been doing when and actually like hardcore editing a photo or like oh, yeah. taking like 50 pictures of a donut in some like weird creative way. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I think it was just like I was doing something a little different, or at least I mean, everyone takes photos of food, but I was, I like to think, doing it through a more like creative lens or at least like stylizing it a little bit. Um, And yeah, and then I think also just there's a handful of accounts with like very large followings where they'll repost a photo or like having the restaurant that the photo I took of repost it. It's just like getting exposure that way. And then someone seeing your profile. Yeah. So there's no like one thing. It's just kind of gradually grown. And I mean, there's people who have grown theirs way quicker than I have and like passed me up. But I don't know. I mean, it's in my mind, served its purpose. Like, (laughs) I was able to get a job out of it. Like, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, see, I think it's... You brought up this idea of qualifications. I'm going to edit that out. (laughs) Um, But, so this idea of qualifications is really interesting because how do you become qualified in social media, right? We have this tension in our generation between the desire for really solid evidence of qualifications. And that's why so many of us still feel the need to go to grad school Mm -hmm. and to accumulate degrees and to um, sort of always be adding another formal proof uh, that we like know something about the field we've chosen to pursue. Um, And then on the other hand, there's this very much like this groundswell, Of um, (coughs) damn it! It's this. It's this shake. (laughs) The shake, (laughs) water. The shake is chalk. The shake is bad for production. (laughs) It gets a water. It's a little chalky. Yeah, that's the problem. It's okay. okay.
0: Should I should I continue your thought? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Be my other brain. So in in this world that we're living in, where people are increasingly needing to get not just college degrees, but then graduate degrees, and then certifications of on top of those degrees, well, y- you chose the other path of just getting out there and proving yourself in the field that you're interested in. And the feeling is, I think if you spoke with at least small business owners, if you give them the person who has done it before and has done it in real life and someone who has you know, all these degrees, the value is normally probably going to lie with the person who has the experience. Practical knowledge. The know? practical knowledge. That's, that's someone who, because the proof is really if you can do it or not. But
2: I think the, the thing that's interesting is that a lot of times employers want to have their cake and eat it too. That's true. They want, and I, I see this a lot. uh, A good friend of mine really wants to be in journalism. They want you to have formal education in it and to have practical experience and there's sort of a chicken and egg problem here of like, <laughs> mm-hmm. how do I get experience if you don't let me get experience, you know? So there, there's a lot of gatekeeper situations that we're, we face. Mm-hmm. And so it is very much, um, you know, you're doing this with, um, with social media. Uh, I've been working on music and I've totally taught myself music theory and stuff like that. And I, I see
0: it all the time with our generation because information is so readily available. We can just kind of like do it ourselves. I think yeah. the other thing that's funny is that, well, number one, although there still may be some gatekeepers, I think that's really far less than you used to be. I mean, with the internet, like you would probably not, I don't know how you would have done what you have done without the internet <laughs> or social media. No. Like, that path wouldn't have existed.
1: No, not at all.
0: Um, also, I think if you talk to most people about what they are on paper qualified for and then just something that they taught themselves... I bet they are a lot more confident and know a whole lot more about what they taught themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it has to do like when I started doing it, I wasn't doing it with career aspirations. I was doing it as a hobby cause I was interested in it, you know? So I don't know. That makes a big difference. Like, yeah.
2: So what do you think of the, the interaction between, I would say there's sort of, there's the content focus of what you're doing and then there's the medium of like cuz you know social media is is basically just taking advantage of these social network utilities that we have and disseminating information and what really like matters is that you have also like this intimate knowledge of restaurants and food and you can bring that to bear on actually like getting the information out there so where do you feel like do you feel equally uh, adept in the medium and the content or what do you, what would you say that breakdown is?
1: I don't know. I mean, it's at least when I did it before, it's just kind of doing what works at that time. So like if you're, I don't know, like relating just to restaurants, posting about the night's special or something you want people to get in the restaurant, like the content's a given. And then it's like, what platform are people going to be looking at at five o'clock on a, Tuesday or whatever um and like we did a lot of research with that seeing like what time is best to post and who follows what platform um and I don't know it's it's hard to say because it's kind of just different for every industry and like what you're trying to get out and at least from what I was doing it was more about telling a story versus necessarily being super strategic and getting out like one message or it wasn't I don't know I didn't really do like campaigns it was more just like like showing people like what they would like to see behind the scenes on social media.
0: Mm-hmm. That's actually really interesting. I, I haven't heard this, this part of it before yeah. because not being in the restaurant industry, the idea of telling a story about a restaurant is really powerful, but what does that look like? What's an example of something that, uh, that you bring out that gets people interested?
2: This is the, this is the part where the uh, podcast format is a little less uh, conducive to our to our conversation. Why?
1: Because we, we
0: can't show can't, it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are all
2: these images we're talking about? No. no what, it's, I
0: mean, well, could, actually, though, you could, I mean, you could follow absolutely. any of these restaurants.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, gosh. What was... I know I just spaced out on what...
0: I was oh, asking I was just about... The yeah, the, the aspect of yeah. storytelling. Because even right now, like, storytelling is like... I don't want to say it's a buzzword, because storytelling is really important, but it's kind of a buzzword. It's kind of becoming passe. It's kind of becoming like innovation was in the 90s, (laughs) where it's like, let's just talk about it. Let's not do it. You know, the more we talk about it, the less we have to do it. So, and I don't think that's the case in in what we're talking about right now, but storytelling is definitely interesting. And again, I'm curious about it in the uh, context of of a restaurant.
1: I think the way i saw it or see it is that um i don't know sometimes storytelling isn't as useful at like getting numbers and like good metrics and stuff but um like i would say storytelling as far as restaurants go is like not only posting pictures of food because like obviously everyone loves a good picture of a donut or like french toast or something but it's Like, Mm. that doesn't tell the story, like, about the people that work at the restaurant or, like, the concept of the restaurant or what the restaurant values. So, um, I always have made a conscious effort to, like, interview the people and, like, tell their stories and, like, highlight all of the little intricacies of the restaurant that kind of make it what it is and make it special and showing, like, where the food came from, not just what it looks like when it's on your plate. Um, And kind of just trying to show aspects of the experience that you might not get just from dining in the restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And then I feel like it, it kind of plays off of like feeling like you're more of a part of the place and like wanting to come back and that whole, that whole deal. Well,
2: that's, that's so interesting to contemplate because I was just thinking with what you were saying about this idea of community and, I don't think, maybe it's because I never really made enough money to feel like I could dine at a place regularly. Well, actually, that, that, did, that did happen. That happened briefly with one of my girlfriends in Chicago. You became a regular? I became a regular at a place. We went to this place on Wednesday because it was like neighborhood night, uh-huh. and it was 20% off. So there, this idea of a restaurant as a gathering place for a community of people that, that like this certain kind of food, like the atmosphere... Mm-hmm. That is something I think people really long for. Um and the I, like the fact that that's how you emphasize and bring a, an actual story out of the, you know, morass of just social media messages if you're if you're actually kind of like stitching that stuff together um and people start to piece it together themselves i can see how
0: that actually becomes a thing what so. what portion of a restaurant's business is from i guess quote unquote or what you would call regulars is it a lot of people coming back
1: um yeah i mean i don't know like a number but i know i mean that's something at least at one-off that was like highly valued having regulars and um yeah i mean that's like your goal it's a restaurant owner I would think is to like become a place that people feel like they're at home at and like come back to all the time and having those relationships is kind of what everyone I think wants when they come somewhere or have a place
0: yeah that's funny I have I, I've developed uh, a regular relationship once at a restaurant and it was like a special relationship like it mm-hmm. was it, it no longer was really about The food or the eating it was really Mm -hmm. about a relationship
1: yeah that was kind of the thing that got me hooked on restaurants like the first time I went to one and walked out I caught like restaurant high like so happy (laughs) not even because the food was so good but because like when I walked out the door like a a server who I didn't even have as a server like smiled and said goodbye on my way out and it was just like this like feeling of like everyone here's so happy to be here and like I don't know, like I could have not even eaten and I would have still walked out of there happier because of like the energy.
0: Yeah. You can can tell because you go into some places, I'm trying to think, there was one that always stood out to me that everyone there seemed to be pretty happy and it makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. When the people from whoever owns the restaurant to whoever's cooking the food to the waiters and waitresses, when everyone seems like they actually care and are, are cared for, you feel that. Mm-hmm. yeah oh, that's interesting you're like a, you have like a sixth restaurant sense
1: it, <laughs> <Yeah>. like seriously <laughs> what you've said
0: in the past whatever it's I been, see happy people is
1: <laughs> no
0: but really what, these things that you've described are, are things that we I think we've all experienced but haven't been able to put our finger on Yeah, restaurant high, definitely. It's a thing, I swear.
1: I can like pinpoint specific times I've had it.
0: So this is, I kind of want to go back a little bit because something you said before about getting this dream job in Chicago I thought was interesting. Have you ever thought that when you were in that meeting, if you hadn't said what you really wanted, you wouldn't have got it?
1: 100%. I could trace back, like, a million experiences that if they... Like, I can pinpoint back to what moment in my life would have made that all not happen. Because it's all just from connections I made with people. And so, like, if I had never met my one friend, John, really, I wouldn't have met my friend, Ben, who put me in this support group, who then we talked about and then connected me with my future coworkers.
0: But I... I I'm thinking about, too, just the idea. Sometimes just, it sounds like it's really embarrassing to say what you actually yeah, want. Yeah. It's scary. And and unfortunately, in most situations, you'd feel embarrassed to say out loud what it is you really want. And in this case, as much as at the time you said it, it probably seemed maybe unrealistic. unrealistic. Really, yeah. I think that's just a really powerful <laughs> Example where you yeah. said it anyways, and then it happened.
1: Yeah, and I didn't even really know what I was saying when I was saying it. It was just like, oh, if some form of these two elements of things I like converged, that would be cool. And then, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Lo and <Yeah>. behold, <laughs> <laughs> this is lucky, really.
0: But it, it's a it's a good story, and it's a very it's a very relevant story for the way things actually work.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a prime example of kind of being like your parents always saying, like, whatever you want to do, you can do it. Like, just try. But it's kind of true. <laughs> like, find a way to make it happen, and you probably can.
0: If Would that be the advice for other people trying to do something that seems unlikely?
1: I think so. And even if you're not trying to do it for a career. Like there's no reason you can't be doing something on the side that inspires you or motivates you. And like maybe one day could turn into something.
2: Well, there's, there's the, the old adage about, um, preparation, you know, fortune favors the, uh, the, the prepared, uh, or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the old Abraham Lincoln that if he had five hours to cut down a tree, he'd spend four of them sharpening the ax. Indeed.
2: <laughs> huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I love
0: that. <laughs> Not the same quote, but related. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, well, it, it's the exact same idea. Same yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, no, because you, I mean, you You had cultivated all of that, like, sort of, in a sense, you made yourself an expert, like, and you You definitely, at least, you could project a yeah. certain level of expertise. Well, I think it's a,
1: that whole thing, kind of, like, fake it till you make it, too, like, <laughs>
0: Totally. Yeah. That's a
1: large part of it.
0: That was the, that was the <laughs> other thing that the fake it till you make it, I think is the right idea, but it's the wrong sentiment. I don't like the connotation yeah. of that. But when you said that you got this job that you were unqualified for, I have to think that anyone who's ever gotten their dream job has not been qualified for it. Their, their only qualification was that they were excited to do it. Mm-hmm. Like they were up for whatever challenge it was. You can't be prepared for. Again, this is maybe an extreme example, but no one could ever be qualified or prepared to be something um, as monumental as president of the United States. But someone is. Someone does it, and they do it. (laughs) It's just a matter of they're up for up for doing it. Yeah, that's. I think that's most
1: of it. For the risk. Well, yeah, and
0: they really want it, and they're gonna try. (laughs) Um also the
2: from the other side of things uh I mean I've just through through my job been involved with departmental hires and I know that like there's a list of qualifications that c- people come up with and none of them are like deal breakers right like or <laughs> very few of them are actual deal breakers it's like we would like this person to have all of these things but there's only so many people we're actually going to interview and none of them are going to be perfect.
0: You are highly involved in social media. I, I mean, it's your job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to get do, out do, of it. Do you bring it home? Do, do you, you bring, bring it home? <laughs> do you bring it with you? Yeah. Everywhere. Do you, carry, do you carry it with you? <laughs> so my question is, obviously social media, a, a force for good and uh, also a force for uh, anxiety-inducing so evil. Nah, I'm not going to say <laughs> e- I feel like that's a little
1: a little extreme.
0: That's extreme. Maybe not. But you sometimes. guys are extreme. <laughs> <laughs> but wh- where do you see what do you see the power of social media being versus going going over the line and sometimes it being that whole thing where you're only putting up the facade. Whether that be mm-hmm. a person or a restaurant, only showing the donut on the plate. Yeah, glistening without the person who has been working there for 10 years who has a great story.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I feel, I mean, I, social media definitely gets a bad rap for, I don't know, like projecting this fake idolized life. And, but I think, I mean, the reason that my personal presence got to where it was, was because I was being real. Like I, I don't know, not kind of, seeming desperate, like I think it's maybe when you come off as desperate or like over, you're overdoing it, um, that's when people are kind of like, whoa, like yeah. cool it. Um, Yeah. and there's definitely brands that do that. But I think when you're trying to have like an authentic voice and just kind of be real, it, it serves good rather. I don't know. It's like
0: that. That's funny that you say that though, because in the same way that sometimes you see people with desperate profiles, or social media presences, maybe even more acutely, there are brands, multinational companies that their whole presence is somewhat desperate Mm -hmm. and grasping and makes you recoil. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: it's like the same thing. Like if a restaurant has a, like 50% off every night, you're like, something's wrong here. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Like you can't get people to come unless you're giving them some deal. So if you're, like, putting out all this, I don't know, like, overthought, overdone, desperate stuff on the internet, people aren't going to want to follow you.
2: I wonder if there's also a sort of a tragedy of the commons logic at work, even in social media, that the, the internet commons, <laughs> um, in the sense that, like, any single person that puts out... And I mean an individual, I don't mean uh, I someone who's going media. to be alone forever. It's uh, a whole different conversation. <laughs> and only has social media. Uh, no, if, uh, so every individual who puts stuff out, probably like there is authenticity in trying to convey an enjoyable experience they had. I know there have been pictures where I was tagged. And it was like a champagne glass or, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. And that's like something that I personally would be like, no, don't do that. I don't endorse this. (laughs) Like, um, but you know, that was like, it it was sort of just a way to tell like our very immediate friends in that area who like knew what we've been going through. They're like, oh, we, like I helped Liz move in and then we got a, a glass of champagne to celebrate, you know? And so like this little, there's this little circle of people that understand, like, oh, that's cool, like, but then there's this wider range of acquaintances that is, I mean, this is on Facebook, that see that and are like, oh, it's another picture of people, like, drinking champagne at a nice place, like, how, you know, how passe and boring and trite, what right? What posturing. And so the way we encounter this, you know, this stream of images, it, start, it, it grates on us but every single one is actually a special experience or at least a, a noteworthy experience for the individual, Mm
0: -hmm. you know? So it's like, I get, I've never thought of it like that. Tragedy of the, co- of the internet commons, <laughs> where everyone's just trying to share a little bit of you know a little bit of joy in their lives, and it becomes overwhelming. Yeah, I don't <laughs> yeah. want your joy. Keep your joy out. Of, <laughs> keep your baby out of my life. Well, the <laughs> other thing that's happened is it's it's become such that the only things that are appropriate to put out there are the positive ones. Mm-hmm. So you 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 start to only see ha- a half picture and i think some people actually believe that that's they they know that that's not their own life but they start to believe that that's other people's lives. Yeah. And that's extremely dangerous because no one no one has it all, you know, everyone's fighting a hard battle in some way. Yeah. But it's also inappropriate for them to advertise that, especially <laughs> on social media, so is do you feel like
2: there's any uh, margin in your, like, field to share, like, a struggle or, a, you know, like, some something that's not just, like, purely positive promotional material? Like...
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, there were instances at my last job where, like, someone in the restaurant got in a bike accident and then we would kind of, like, post the story spun and, like, and not, I don't know, you don't want to, like, exploit this person or, like, yeah. get, tell too much, but just, like, I don't know that's when the whole community thing comes into play because it's like oh like our followers or regulars or whatever are going to like relate and like sympathize with this employee of ours and hopefully want to help like we did a GoFundMe for someone and like we did a drink special one time for another Mm -hmm. kind of health thing so yeah I mean that's kind of as long as you're I don't know being respectful about it or I don't know yeah it works but i mean we never would like blatantly i would never blatantly just put something like negative out there mhm i don't know yeah you want
0: to think? where we left off was you had your dream job in chicago yes and now we're here in oakland so there's something happens <laughs> in between like i feel you've your career has been interesting and accelerated compared to most because I think for most people to get their dream job they might be 50 and at that point when they get it and then realize wait a second what do I do now so I have a BMW yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's the short answer I guess <laughs> yeah. So tell tell us about that
1: Let's see okay Well so I grew up in Chicago went to school in Illinois lived in Chicago after graduation um and yeah I mean I I think I'm lucky that what I'm interested in life and where my skills lie kind of turned into this made up weird job path Um, and then I was lucky enough to kind of get what I would call my dream job and then it was just one of those things where maybe it all happened so fast and I was like well am I just going to work here for the next like 10 or 20 years like I can't really picture that and I think just kind of like, staying around where I was from, and then being around, I mean, in my job in Chicago, I had, like, 200, probably, like, really amazing co-workers between the eight restaurants in our office, and like, so many inspiring people who are doing cool things, and equally as into their job as I was into mine, and I think it was, like, I just kept meeting people who, like, came to Chicago from, like, Nebraska to be doing this, and every time I met another person who kind of left their comfort zone, went somewhere new to, like, pursue a dream, I was like, well, I feel so lame that I'm just, like, I'm just here, like, yep, I'm from here, um, so yeah, I don't know, I think I just got to the point where I was, like, I have all this going for me, but that just seems so safe and not boring, but I don't know, like, the thrill was gone, or there was nothing left to really reach for, that sounds bad, but I don't know, it was, like, I got to the point where I was, like, if I'm not doing this here, there's nothing else I want to be doing in Chicago. So, I mean... That's and a it, sign. Yeah. yeah. And it just happens that the Bay Area in San Francisco is, like, one of the ultimate places to be for the restaurant industry and just food in general. So, um, it seemed like if I was going to go anywhere, this is where it would be. And so, I kind of just... I don't know. I got to the point where it was, like, I knew in my head that I had to come here and there were, like, all these obstacles, like... I have to quit my dream job and like tell all these people who hired me and like no, I'm obsessed with my job that I'm leaving, which was like the scariest, hardest thing ever. So I did that and um, didn't have a job or an apartment in San hey, Francisco. So you,
2: you did that prior to securing a yeah, gig. Yeah, yeah. And I
1: people were like, "Congrats on your move," and I was like, "You're congratulating me on being unemployed and homeless. Like I have I have yeah. nothing figured out." Um, but yeah, and then I just kind of. I think once the, like, fear of quitting my job set in... I mean, before I did that, I was obviously, like, investigating and applying places, but...
2: You, you know what I would have said? I would have said, congratulations for reading on the road. Like, <laughs> <laughs> go west and get on a train and, yeah. you know. Yeah. But, yeah. But, I, oh, I don't want to interrupt.
1: Well, I was going to say, so then I... Because I think I realized I was, like, applying to all these jobs on through, like, websites and forms and stuff, and then kind of was like, why am I even wasting my time with this? Like, the reason I got this job was, like, people, like, connections with humans. So I just reached out to, like, a handful of people in the Bay Area who were working with or for, um, like, restaurants or whatever brands that I was interested in. And then something in the universe happened where it, like, worked out. And by the time I had my last day at work, I had a job here. So it felt a little more sane to be leaving.
0: I... So, I always think of this when I hear good stories about someone doing something they want and it working out. And there's always this moment, there's always this moment where they say, I was, you know, unemployed and homeless. I was out on the street. I had spent my last hundred dollars. And I always think of the scene in Indiana Jones where he has to step out from the ledge into what looks like thin air from the lion's head in the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's, I, I'm just thinking there has to be this leap of faith. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that there's any way that it can't be scary at some point. And I just am always wondering, what do you say to everyone who, who hears that and says, oh, but that sounds scary. But that sounds scary. Were, yeah. Did you at least want it enough that it was less scary? You you felt compelled enough that you had to do this, that it wasn't as scary as maybe, oh, this sounds like a bad idea and is scary.
1: I think I like wanted the scary feeling because I'd never really... Ha- I don't know. That was like something I felt like I needed to experience. I'd never really had to go out on a limb like that, which I mean, it was just because I kind of just took the next step from where I was, like grew up in Chicago, went to U of I, ended up, you know... So I don't know, I was like, what's the worst that can come out of this? Like, if anything else, I, like, freak out, get scared, learn something, and, like, I could probably come back to where I am if all else fails. But, yeah, I don't know, I just had a feeling that doing that would be worth it and taking risks, you know?
2: There is a sense of wanting to finally make a decision that is yours alone, you know? And, like, owning the risk. And so, you know, it's, like... We feel like that needs a deeper explanation or like a different justification. And I don't know if it does, you know, it's like, it's about that agency that you experience in yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool.
1: Well, you kind of did that too, no? I mean,
2: yes, but and there's also like the doubling back on it. So yeah, I did that at your age, 25. Um, yeah. quit my job to start writing and have now found myself in a situation where it's like, okay, uh, through through my savings, accomplished some things, but needed to get income again. But see, the thing is, I, the way I'm approaching what I'm doing right now is that, um, there is like a middle road. Whereas perhaps before I didn't think so, you know, I thought it was all or nothing. Yeah. Either the nine to five or bohemian, like, (laughs) you know, a starving artist type of thing. And I guess the middle road is just being a hipster. But, (laughs) but, uh, um, no, but I mean the, the important thing is to, and this is actually, this kind of circles back to the thing I was trying to come up with before about how necessary it is to cultivate personal habits in our lives. And the thing with, social media that is somewhat corrosive is that it's a default habit that can just occupy time and we don't have other good habits to fill it, you know? Um, and there is, I think something to be said for even developing good social media habits where we kind of regulate how we engage with Facebook, like who, whose posts are we going to actually take the time to look at or, um, You know cultivating the institutions we follow like certain Mm -hmm. restaurants or something um and not letting it be so you know open to chance um and and for me that also like sort of the wider significance is like just in personally i need to develop now that i'm out here and working a nine-to-five again I need to have those like sacred times where it's like, okay, I'm just writing now. I'm not doing anything else. Um, yeah. So that's like, um, I think that's sort of one of like the overarching issues that we're really facing all collectively is like, how do we manage our, our personal habits?
1: Yeah. I had to, when I first, when I was probably like four months into doing social media for work. I kind of freaked out and was like I hate the internet. This is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I can't escape it. It's like non-stop. There's always something I should be checking or like engaging with or thinking about posting or taking a picture of and I started getting annoyed that even when I wasn't working, I still would find myself just impulsively looking at like Instagram on my phone or being at a restaurant and like trying to take this like great picture of the food and not paying attention to what was happening and I kind of checked myself and was like, I made a I made it so that I could only post things on my personal account if they were like mostly white, like like a lot of white space or like generally white to uh, to like limit myself man. so that if I was at a restaurant with like this I sound like a crazy person, but like if I was at a restaurant this with like it. a brown table and there was food and the lighting was like okay but not great and I would just be like, Well, there's not enough white, so I can't take a picture and post it. And it was kind of great because I just, it wasn't an option really. And then I was more present because it was like, I mean, granted, if there was opportunity, I was obviously doing it because it's like a weird drug, but yeah, it was, <laughs> it was good. And then the, the irony of the whole thing is I was doing that probably for like three or four months. Um, and I mean, it, I think it actually made me enjoy doing it as work more again because, um, It was just, there was less of it happening, I guess. Um, But then the funny thing is, like, this food publication called The Infatuation made this list at the end of the year of, like, food Instagrammers to follow. And I was on the list, and they mentioned, like, oh, she really knows how to do the minimal white thing. And I was like, if only you knew. I started (laughs) doing that because I, like, needed something to cut myself off from it.
0: Creative self-limitation. Yeah. Yeah, I think that... A lot of people, again, would find your job, career and kind of just endeavor and path to getting where you are as, I hate to use the word envious, but something to aspire to or be inspired by or just to know that it's possible. So, and I think you said it earlier, but advice to those younger coming out maybe they're interested in something maybe they don't even know what they're interested in yet Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what would you what would you say
1: i would say if something scares you then you should do it and that kind of all plays into risks but um i feel like as soon as that lesson kind of got ingrained in my brain that's when things started happening for me because i started doing things that kind of freaked me out or pushed me out of my comfort zone or kind of put me in a place to Kind of BS things and make it seem like I knew what I knew what I was talking about even if I didn't. So um, yeah, I would say um, keep doing the things that make you really excited, whatever the, they may be.
0: I just I know how stupid I was when I was younger. Can we give any sort of qualification uh, as far as there are things that scare you that you okay. maybe shouldn't do?
1: <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> yeah. When I say things scare yeah. you. <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: So just maybe a I don't want like a strong caveat, but just some <laughs> sort of qualification. I was really scared of great white charts. <laughs>
2: well <And> then... <laughs> guys,
1: come on, I mean like life experience things, like meeting new people, like going to a some meeting or like creative talk by yourself or connecting with someone who you think you have something in common with but don't know at all, or emailing someone who you kind of aspire to be like or think you could learn something from even if they might not ever respond to you but
2: yeah yeah, yeah. i mean that that fear of rejection is pretty strong like mm-hmm. so it's a good thing to learn too. Not get o- to get get
0: over yourself young people yeah yeah <laughs> i was just
2: laughing to myself thinking about like now that we've had this conversation chloe feels way too comfortable with her current position so she's going to quit next week oh god <laughs> He's gonna be you're just gonna start surfing off of the, the, the Pacific <laughs> coast. Yeah, here. I'm gonna
1: move. I already conquered the Bay Area. I'm over this place. I'm <laughs> I'm have,
0: I have two more questions and then we can really we can we can sign off. The first and is my favorite question. Oh, if you no. could title your autobiography, what would it be?
1: I've you've asked me this so many times and I still don't know. Um,
0: there it is. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't know
1: I do kind of like that I,
0: I, feel, like, I feel like people give the best answers while like pandering <laughs> about how they could never come up with it yeah <laughs> those yeah. are really because that's kind of what life is it's, it's like a pandering about how you have no idea what's going on or you're just figuring it out or oh how could I ever but really those are great titles yeah. because that kind of sums it all up I know it's yeah
1: I mean and even if I'm on this right now as some sort of like expert or like someone who's like knows something I I still there's so much I don't know like I still still, really don't know I
0: still don't know yeah it's a pretty good title
1: yeah
0: now now for the final question is now a good time
1: yeah it's the best time I mean I'm where I want to be um doing what i want to be doing and i'm proud that i got myself here
2: but chloe what about global warming (laughs) oh
0: come on no (laughs) let's just leave it it's a good time
1: it's a good time (laughs) we're having a good time
0: we're having a good time thank you so much for tuning in to our inaugural episode of is now a good time